Welcome to our eighth cottage meeting in the series of 12, the 12 introductory lessons that come out of our green cottage meeting manual. We are on lesson number eight today, capture the sunshine. That means teaching the love of liberty through beauty, through the beauty of literature, music, poetry, and art. And this is just the best lesson to have as we begin this beautiful Christmas season with great music and art and literature and poetry and everything that goes along with this season. I'm happy that we can be together, united in our common goal and to desire to preserve and perpetuate this land of freedom for our future generations. How was everyone's Thanksgiving where you all gathered together around the table, hopefully with your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren? I'm not sure if uh, uh, the young mama Tyler from Virginia, Alada, uh, well, when we met two weeks ago, she recommended, it was the best recommendation from her. Tyler, there you are. There you are. Beautiful Tyler. Uh, one of our mamas from Fairfax County. Virginia, she recommended reading George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation that he issued in 1789 in October that declared November 26th a day of thanksgiving and prayer. At that time in our nation's history, to thank God for our independence, the Constitution had just been ratified. So thanking God for this new Constitution and thanking him for all his hand in, in all the great events that had come um, together in uh, forming this nation. So I don't know if any of you had a chance to pull up that George Washington proclamation and read that at the Thanksgiving table or sometime during that week. Viv, can I um, see the next slide? So two days before Thanksgiving, I had, and if you did, please just actively keep, you know, put in the chat there and then we can discuss it at the end. Two days before Thanksgiving, I had a special Thanksgiving lunch with some ladies in my community. My two daughters, my oldest girl at the end of the table and my youngest there in the little blue sweater were there. And I had my daughters read that proclamation, uh, Thanksgiving proclamation. And I brought George George's bust into the dining room, put it on the, uh, <laughs> the, the buffet there. And then we went around the table and we talked about what we liked about that proclamation and um, some of the feelings we had about this country. And it was, it was beautiful. Did you know Abraham Lincoln also issued a proclamation on Thanksgiving in uh, 1863, right in the height of the Civil War when our country was you know, just being torn asunder? And in this proclamation, he, he acknowledges all the many blessings of living in this free land. And I thought, what a beautiful example of him still seeing the beauty and feeling the gratitude for the Lord, even in the midst of this terrible civil, civil war. And that's when he actually made Thanksgiving a national holiday in that 1863 proclamation. We want our children to love and cherish these, these ideals upon which our nation was founded and, and for it to live into their live in their hearts and for their hearts to be full of gratitude and optimism for the blessings uh, that we enjoy as citizens of the United States. You know, it is December 1, mothers, 
And uh, all my Thanksgiving decor came down yesterday. And now after class, I'm putting up beautiful Christmas things. I love this time of year. Such a significant holiday where, you know, the Christ spirit abounds more freely in the world and in our country. I love the music. I love the decorations. I, I think I've already gotten maybe 10 Christmas cards already. It just fills my soul. And I love all the lights. And, and ultimately, it does remind us of the light of Christ. We all have an essential need for sunshine, for light in our life. Just as a plant needs sunshine for growth, it needs light to be healthy and strong. We need light in our life for liberty to grow in our hearts. So the, the, the title of our lesson is called Capture the Sunshine. And capture is an action verb, which really means we need to reach outside of ourselves to find this light, to find the sunshine, the beauty that comes uh, through um, uh, art and nature and poetry and music and literature. So we're gonna watch a three minute video entitled Capture the Sunshine. Uh, by our um, president of Moms for America, Kimberly Fletcher. And she's going to talk about the role that music and art and, and literature and these kind of things impact the way that we see and we feel and what a freeing element it is, how it infuses us with hope. And it provides light at times of our life or in our country when we're feeling darkness so Viv, if you could cue up that little three minute video on Capture the Sunshine. When you think of freedom, beauty isn't usually something that comes to mind. And yet beauty is a powerfully freeing element. While reading a book on the Russian Revolution, I came across an interesting tidbit about Lenin, who was known of course for his cold, cruel, abusive nature. He once admitted after listening to a sonata by Beethoven, I can't listen to music too often. It affects your nerves, makes you want to say stupid nice things and stroke the heads of people who could create such beauty while living in this vile hell. Contrast that with Viktor Frankl, a Jewish neurologist who spent three years in a Nazi concentration camp. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Dr. Frankel found those that weathered the storm of the camps could find beauty in the simplest things, memories of family, a blade of grass, a sunset. For some, this was survival. For others, it generated feelings of profound gratitude. Dr. Frankel witnessed the way those who held on to these things, those who had purpose in their life, seemed not only to bear the horrific burdens better than most, but also at great personal sacrifice, helped and comforted others. We who lived in concentration camps, he recalled, can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken away from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Helen Keller, who lived her whole life in blindness, realized this. Although the world is full of suffering, she said, 
it is full also of the overcoming of it. Beauty provides healing and comfort in difficult times. The music we play in our homes, art we display on our walls, it all impacts the way we see and feel things. Even an evil man like Lenin recognized the heartwarming influence of beautiful music. It's sad and horribly tragic that there are those who prefer coldness to warmth. But it also shows that these inspiring influences can reach even the hardest of hearts. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, music is a discipline, a mistress of order and good manners. She makes the people milder and gentler, more moral and more reasonable. Isn't that the kind of people we want to see in the world? The kind of people we want to be ourselves? When Anne Frank was surrounded by darkness, she wrote, I don't think of the misery, but of the beauty that still remains. Mahatma Gandhi reflected, when I admire the wonders of a sunset or the beauty of the moon, my soul expands in the worship of the Creator. Beauty is a freeing element, infusing us with hope, providing light in the darkness, awakening the soul and moving us to act. We will love more, want to serve more, and want to be more. By filling our homes and hearts with beautiful art, music, stories, and poetry, we create a connection between truth, light, and goodness. Then, no matter how cold the world is or what trials we face, we will always have that beauty to warm us. And that is freedom. Okay. Very good. So you can see, dear mamas, that the music that we have in our home, the art that we display, it all impacts the way that we see and we feel things and really sets the tone and the spirit for those that visit or reside there as well. Beauty is a freeing element. It does infuse us with hope and it provides light in the darkness and it wakens our soul and it moves us to aspire for higher. And that, my mamas, is freedom. So I love those quotes that she had on Lennon and Frankel and Helen Keller and Martin Luther King Jr. and Anne Frank. They understood the power of beauty. Viv, let's uh, cue up the next um, slide. In the book, Raising of the Next Generation of Patriots, there is a chapter about making good use of the harvest. It talks about how a free people have always been blessed with prosperity and we are a free people. We have such abundance living here in America. We've really only ever known abundance. Even if we came uh, from poorer circumstances, <clears throat> you've heard me say, I grew up in a home with nine siblings. My parents divorced when I was young. We were on food stamps. We were on government assistance. But even so, we were a home of great abundance. And I realized that as I grow. I just came back from Egypt a few weeks ago. Such a contrast between those living in freedom and those living uh, in, in a semblance of freedom, but corruption and, and, and really... Um, you know, I, I want to say I, I've seen the effects as we travel throughout Egypt of the people that have fallen away from their roots and their God. 
It seems though free people are blessed with prosperity, but materialism has taken over our garden of liberty, it says in this Raising of a New Generation of Patriots, this chapter on um, uh, the use of harvest. So what, what happens if we're not careful is we see as, as materialism takes over, it's accompanying companions of greed and corruption and secularism and humanism, that kind of detachment from the heavens becomes more pervasive. And we're feeling that in our society today. The culminating events of the years, sorry, I've got a frog in my throat, of the years hard labor seems to be that big after Thanksgiving Christmas sale that we just had last week. And and even our educational systems uh, that our children attend seem to be focused on making a living instead of making a life. Is that really the best use of freedom? is the question that we could ask ourselves. Let's see that next slide, John Adams. John Adams had a different idea in mind when he said, I must study politics and war that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting and poetry and music and architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. So this quote reminded me of something I saw in play last week. Viv, let's have that next slide. My brother, my home has been full up at the inn uh, for the last two weeks. I had three sisters two weeks ago, and then I had my brother and two of his three children come visit last week for Thanksgiving. Now, my brother there, there's a picture of them at the Iwo Jima uh, Memorial in Washington, D.C., and that's the war memorial commemorating all fallen Marines from 1775 on. My brother has worked hard for 25 years in the corrections department in prisons and jails and police officer and And now he uh, uh, works rehabilitating prisoners. And um, because he has worked hard and had the freedom to pursue his career, his children now, one of his boys is a Marine. That's probably why they went to the Iwo Jima um, statue there outside of Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. last week. But his two children, because of the efforts, you know, of him working so hard, having the freedom to choose his life's profession, his children now, one is a musical dance theater, and he is in a production, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and he had to take time off in order to do a few days trip to Washington, D.C., and his other daughter is is in a, a modern dance program at her university. And I just, you know... As, as I think about the, the, the freedom that, uh, that we've, you know, this beautiful experiment of freedom that our founders unleashed that gave us the freedom to really pursue um, our dreams and particularly our generation and our children, they don't even understand how fortunate they are to go and pursue a musical dance theater and, and maybe that will lead to Broadway, maybe it won't. But, you know, that is what freedom is. And although, you know, as we, uh, free people are, are giving great prosperity and stuff, as you may see it, and opportunities, it certainly makes everyone's life more comfortable. 
what it has done is given us the enviable opportunity. Okay, Viv, you can pull that slide down to climb and generations to come to climb to higher places, you know, and, and not only for us to be able to pursue our dreams, but to bring other people along and to help elevate other people and to truly be that light on a hill that, you know, William Bradford and those pilgrims knew this new world would be and that our founders knew that this, you know, we were to be this light on the world to people so that others may see more clearly the beauty and the opportunities before them. So, you know, it's been said that the reason fairy tales have lasted for hundreds of years is because they are simple kernels of truth, a fairy tale is, with a story wrapped around it. And that's why they're so endearing. So, Viv, let's see that next slide. Consider the message of Sleeping Beauty. The, the great fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty. There she is. She's gone to sleep. And when she fell asleep, the entire kingdom, now see if there's any parallels to our day. When beauty went to sleep, the entire kingdom became lifeless and colorless. Soon noxious briars and thorns and tangled vines grew around the sleeping kingdom. Now Prince Philip valiantly drew his sword of truth and protected himself with the shield of virtue to make his way through the tangled mess and fight the evil, Maleficent. But that's not really what brought the kingdom back to life. The thing that brought the kingdom back to life was his love of beauty. And when beauty received true love's first kiss, beauty awoke and the kingdom gloriously sprang back to life. Now, mamas, you have the privilege of teaching your children and your grandchildren the love of beauty. This privilege primarily will fall upon you to teach the rising generation how beauty, the appreciation, the acknowledgement of beauty can impact their lives. But let's have the next slide. We can access great works of art right in our homes that previously could have only been viewed by the rich and elite of the past. Our homes can be filled with beautiful symphonies of music. We have Alexis in, in all throughout our home and classical music plays all day long in our home. All these kind of things used to be reserved only for royalty in past centuries. We have all the exquisite and ennobling words of poets and great thinkers and writers that really are just a click away on the computer. We can pull up anything nowadays available even in the most humble of homes. Just think of the resources we have at our tips living in this day and age. It's been said that when an individual or a nation lacks beauty and those kind of qualities that we term inspirational, the society or the people become devoid of humanity and love and self-respect and selfishness and violence fills that void. So, okay, Viv, oftentimes when we talk about inspirational beauty, we're talking about things that mention God as well. And we feel that at Christmas time, we've seen it in our lifetime as anything that references the divine or inspirational 
godly language is being pulled from the public square, certainly pulled from public schools. Whereas, you know, a Christmas, we used to have a Christmas tree in the lobby of the, you know, office at school. Now we call it a holiday tree where the children can sing jolly old St. Nicholas and Rudolph, but heaven forbid they sing Silent Night or, or, you know, any inspirational songs like that. This is our challenge for mothers and grandmothers of this generation to awaken something in the hearts of our children that might even be asleep within us because of the world that we have grown up in. An appreciation of true beauty is emotional and it is a matter of the heart. And our own personal search for beauty is a journey that we need to share and bring along with our children and our grandchildren. Now, I had a mama, let's see the next slide, Viv, who loved the beauty of changing seasons. And she would often quote to us her favorite poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Do you have favorite poems? Do you quote them to your children? Well, my mom quoted a Longfellow. Every spring, she would say, if spring came but once a year, children, if it, it, but if it came once in a century, rather, instead of once a year, or burst forth with the sound of an earthquake and not in silence, what wonder and expectation there would be in all of our hearts. I remember that poem to this day. So my mama, let's see the next slide, Viv, was famous in the springtime. Oh, there's my mom. I need to get a, maybe a different picture, but it looks like she has a bouquet of flowers or fall flowers around her neck. She was, she was our sunshine mama. Let's see the next slide, Viv. In the, in the springtime, she would always go out and pick cherry blossoms and then put them in little vases, big vases in our, on our kitchen table. And uh, in the spring, she would pull the lilac branches from the bushes in our front yard and put them in vases in our home. And then in the fall, we would take a drive up to the mountains and she would collect these vibrant uh, colors um, from the leaves and, and display them in our home as well on the tables. I often would hear her exclaim as she would look at a beautiful sunset in the evenings. She'd say, children, how could anyone be an atheist after beholding the majesty of the setting sun on the horizon? So we children, okay, Beth, we saw this beauty because she saw it first. And then she was always pointing it out to us as children. Mothers, you are going to be the ones that will help your children and your grandchildren see what so many just don't see in the world anymore because we're moving at such a fast clip and we're so plugged in. The mother, uh, the mother who covers her walls with great art or quotes or pictures really helps to inspire the soul of that little child. So maybe, you know, we rethink, does the art in my home just match the couch or, or does it cause us, uh, cause us to think a little higher or differently as we sit down and ponder and gaze at the wall? You know, as I'm, I'm looking at you now in the back there is Mount Vernon on my mantle. And maybe you've heard me tell the story 
of Mount Vernon and how I've, I've shared that story with my children and doing the hard thing that represents leaving the ease and the comfort of Mount Vernon to, and to go out in the world just like George Washington did and to do the harder thing, but the thing that you know God needs you to do and what a difference that might make to someone in the world and what a difference it made that George left the ease of his Mount Vernon and did what he did. We have the life that we have today. And so that would be an example. And actually the artwork back there is a depiction of all the generations that are, have come before us who are there to aid and assist us. And they, they're, you know, surrounding this little girl in the back there. And it reminds my children that we have ancestors that have come before us and they're there to help us. And we're gonna carry on their legacy and, and know that they are there, you know, and, and we could stand on their shoulders and do magnificent things because of the sacrifices that they did for us in, in their lifetime. So, you know, it's really also the mama that shares her own beautiful, um, her heart through beautiful words from literature instead of maybe just, you know, empty words of the day that are written merely to entertain or it's the mother or the grandmother who helps that little child discover the wonders of nature. She takes that child by the hand to explore God's handiwork, maybe through walks or bike rides or hikes in the hills or mountains or, you know, enjoying sunsets on the beach together Every effort we can make to connect our children and our grandchildren to beauty will be some of the most important gardening work that we will do. So as you think for a moment, and this would be something that you could discuss in your cottage meeting that you could have if you had one in your home, or certainly you can put it in the chat now. What are some of the things that your mother or your grandmother did to nurture beauty within you? And what was its impact on you? When there is a people who love beauty more than they love money or popularity or pleasure, they will create lights on the hills to nations of the earth and people of the earth who are tired of the noxious throngs and briars and who are looking to light and they will find you and, and you will have that light because you recognize the beauty around you. Our founders of our country chose to seek the light in the dark environment of tyranny and oppression from England. And how did they do that? Viv, let's have the next slide. In the 5,000 year leap, you know that wonderful book, those 28 principles that really changed the world. And, and I've talked about this a lot, these 20, uh, 28 principles. In principle number nine, it says that to protect man's rights, these God-given rights from God, these inalienable rights, God has revealed certain principles of divine law, of God's law. So our founders were great studiers of truth and the beauty of divine law contained in holy writ. Our founders lived and they spoke of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. George Washington wrote of God over 66 times during the Revolutionary War that we have. Let's see the next slide there. He wrote of God often in his communications during the war. 
And it was actually the most referenced literary text in all of his writings was the Bible. We know Benjamin Franklin wrote a book on the virtues um, and he lived 13 virtues every day and he would check them off. And we know virtues are, are Christ-like attributes. He wrote a book on it. And Thomas Jefferson cut out passages from the Bible, the words of Christ. And when here it is, Jefferson's Bible, and he would carry around these words of Christ in his front pocket. Lincoln would go on to exclaim the Bible is simply the greatest gift that God has given mankind. Our founders, okay, Viv, our founders pulled from the ancient principles of governance from the Bible. Not quite, not quite, Viv. We'll just, <laughs> they pulled from Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy, these sound principles of government. And then they embedded these beautiful principles within our inspired documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They knew that obedience to God's law would qualify this new nation for the blessings and the protection that they were seeking. So I've told you this before, but one of their first congressional acts after George Washington, okay, Bill, we'll have the next slide, was sworn in as president there at Federal Hall in New York City, down in the Wall Street area. As he was sworn in, they all then, and, and, and there's the Bible, and you can go into that Federal Hall. It's free, and there's a museum of sorts there, and you can see that Bible that he put his hand on, and, and actually where he put his hand, I believe it was in Genesis, I forget the site. And then afterwards, all those that were there at the swearing in, they uh, walked a few blocks to the St. Paul's church that is there today. And they attended a church service and there they prayed and they covenanted with God that they would live under his divine principles and laws. And, and as they established this government, they would make laws that were in keeping with his laws. And so Viv, let's see that next slide. Wouldn't you know, on Thanksgiving Day in 1789, when and George Washington would declare this day as a day of Thanksgiving, he actually went back to that St. Paul's Church right there and attended church service at St. Paul's Church in no November 26, 1789. And, and then, you know, his heart probably was just swelling for gratitude, living through the eight years of the Revolutionary War and the Constitutional Convention. And, and as he sat there, his heart swelling with gratitude. And then after the service, and when, you're, when you feel grateful, you want to give back. You want to be a part of the solution. He would then, it was noted in the history books, he went and um, administered or gave uh, food and beer to um, uh, prisoners in, de in debtor's prison. And so, you know, that was the impact of the acknowledgement uh, of gratitude had on his heart. This really is one of my favorite places to go in New York City is that St. Paul's Church where there is a, a picture that marks where George Washington, the pew that he worshiped at. Remember, New York City was the capital city in the earliest days of uh, the United States of America. And then it would it would go from there to Philadelphia and Annapolis and ultimately to Washington, D.C. 
but he, they were about, you know, acknowledging the beauty of God's law and the, the beauty of the Bible. And, and there they made covenants with God as they established this country and, and, you know, attended that first church service as a nation, as he is a president, that they would be one nation under God. How might we follow our founding father? Okay, Viv, we can take our slide off for a minute. How might we follow our founding father's examples and live under the beauty of divine laws within our home and our communities? And as we do so, how might we serve? How might that serve as a being a, a light on the hill for others? Truly, when we acknowledge God's hand in our life through word and deed and prayer and song, we can lift others around us from discouragement and depression. So let's have that next slide. So this last week, my baby brother, I'm number six out of nine children, and he's number seven. So he and I are right next to each other in the birthing order. Now there's my handsome Al. I hope that's not shocking to any of you. Uh, if you're seeing my, my uh, Al, we're a nice contrast. Al's in the red sweatshirt. My baby brother is a little shorter than my husband. And we took uh, his children and our, our kids to Colonial Williamsburg last week. I always take him to my most favorite places, that beautiful colonial capital city of Virginia, Colonial Williamsburg. And it's, there's just a spirit as you're there and you feel, you know, our founding uh, tenants and, and founders and, and you hear these um, reenactors, uh, uh, nation builders, they call themselves. They heard Martha Washington and George Washington get beautiful lecture on freedom. And, and um, my brother just went through a divorce about five, six years ago. He'd been married 20 years and it was a difficult marriage. Maybe some of you have experienced difficult marriage and you can understand the challenge of that and how that drains you and it causes you to question things in your life. And he's gone through a period since that divorce. And he grew up in the same home that I did, a godly mother who, you know, he saw her pray and, and teach us from the Bible. But he's gone through a faith crisis because of this difficult 20 years of marriage. And he's even doubting the existence of God. And I've known this for some time about my brother. But as I brought he and his children into my home last week, and they saw how we live, and they would pray with us morning and night as we would get off. And, and I had people, big dinners over, uh, groups of people over a few nights that they were there. And, and Whenever I have people over, I always like to have a little program, so to speak. And I like to have people go around and I'll, I'll ask them a question. And we just kind of share the feelings of our heart because I figure if I have people come into my home, I want to give an opportunity to feel the spirit and to elevate and to have us all leave a little bit better for, you know, taking the time to join together. And so the last night he was there, we had about 15 people for dinner on Sunday night and the question was asked as we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, what gift can we give back to our Savior at this Christmas time? And, you know, it was sweet as the evening wore on and it was merry and there was a lot of talking. And he said to me at one point, he said, Julene, I just really feel in the spirit. 
tonight. And for him to say that, because he doesn't even, he's for the last several years, he's not even believing there is a God anymore. So for him to say that, I thought, aha. And then when everyone went around and shared what gifts they might want to give to God this year, it was so sweet. Some of the words that he, he taught, and he said, if there is a God in heaven, I would want to do this, you know, and he, he prefaced it that way. But I could see the softening in his heart because of the gratitude that he had felt that week of being there at these beautiful sites, being together as a family, acknowledging really God's hand. And maybe he wouldn't quite articulate it that way, but gratitude softens hearts. And I, I, can, I can see and probably you have all felt that as you acknowledge the beauty in your life through word and deed and prayer and, and song, that it's a means to be able to lift people. And I, I felt that softening with him as he felt that gratitude working in his heart and his ability to ex see and feel the beauty of his life and not just focus on the difficulty of, you know, the last few decades. So what does God have to say about this beauty and gratitude? And um, Viv, let's see the next slide. Thanks, Viv, so much. I, I didn't even give a shout out to Viv in San Antonio, Texas, who just keeps our, our meetings going so beautifully each week. So in James 1, verses 17, God tells us that every good gift that we have comes from him. All right, every good gift. And even though I've learned in my life, even some of the heartaches, that I've experienced in my life have become the greatest gifts because of what it did. It changed me. It transformed me. I became a different person. So even our heartaches, I think, can be, if we stay true to God, we can consider them gifts from him because of, the, of how it changes us. In James 5, verses 13 through 15, it reminds us that if we are afflicted, we should pray. If we are married, sing songs. If we sin, we can be forgiven. Wherever we are, if we turn to God, he will raise us up, it tells us in James there. In Acts 16, it tells about how Paul and Silas were in jail and they were beaten. And at midnight in these verses, it says, what did they do? Beaten down, probably weary, exhausted in pain. They prayed and they sang songs. And it says in the scriptures there, other people heard them. Now imagine how the melody of that, that tune that night might have filled the hearts, not only of Paul and Silas, but of also those around them. And then in Psalms 100, it talks about make a joyful noise unto the Lord, come before him in singing. In Luke 17, that's the parable of the leper where God healed 10 lepers, but only one came back to speak and returned in gratitude. When we, thanks Viv, when we acknowledge God's hand in our life, it helps us to see the beauty around us. It softens us just like it softened my brother. 
and um, also music. How does music help lift our spirits during times of challenge? You can put that in the chat. Does music have an impact? We're getting ready this time of year. We're going to have that beautiful onslaught of Christmas music. And I love Christmas music. I think some of the modern songs can be a little more jarring. But I love the religious, the spiritual Christmas music, and even the old-fashioned Bing Crosby or Nat King Cole. It just helps me. Uh, beautiful music to fill of the Christ spirit. But let's see that next slide. It's been said by uh, uh, Dean Bird and Mark D. Chamberlain, discovery of purpose is like a dose of sunshine that propels men and women forward to new heights of achievement. When we are deeply involved in a positive purpose, our souls and even our bodies, it seems, resonates with the power and energy of God. So I really like this quote here. Um, okay, Viv. There is a, a book I want to show you. Um, it's called uh, The Blue Zones. Have you ever heard of the Blue Zones? It's people that live longer, areas in the world of centenarians. Centenarians are people who live to be 100 years old. Dan Butner worked for National Geographic for 10 years. He went around the world and studied areas that people were living longer. And there's about five of these blue zones around the world. Um, Sardinia, Italy, Icaria, Greece, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California, and Okinawa, Japan. And people there live longer. There are more centenarians in these places. And as he studied these groups, they all had nine characteristics in common. And one of the characteristics they had that attributed to their longevity, their health, their wellness, because happy people are healthier people and healthier people live longer, was purpose. They all had a sense of purpose, like that quote talked about. It's kind of like they all had a reason to wake up in the morning. They had things to do. They had purpose and it energized not only their souls, but their bodies. In the supplemental material, there is an article entitled The Birdman of Alcatraz. Now, now remember, all of this, what I'm teaching you today can be found. I'm weaving it into this lesson in our lesson number eight, Capture the Sunshine. And so um, in the supplemental material for Capture the Sunshine, there is an article entitled The Birdman of Alcatraz. And this story really exemplifies uh, this idea of having a purpose, a cause. And um, you might have actually watched, I think it was a movie, The Birdman of Alcatraz. It came out in 1962, the movie. And maybe you've even gone to Alcatraz off the, you know, the harbor there in San Francisco where all the piers are. But the Birdman of Alcatraz is a real life story. Uh, after numerous violent crimes, Robert Stroud was doomed to a life in prison. For months, he lived in this mean, uh, narrow, pitiful existence. And I, I don't think months, I think years. His hate festered and anger dominated his life until one day a tiny little bird fluttered in his cell 
And this helpless little creature touched a seed of compassion within uh, this inmate. And he began to care for this bird, nursing it back to health. And then another bird came to rest on his window and he fed it and it soon returned. And soon he was talking about his birds with other inmates. His birds gave him a new lease on life as Robert began to control his temper and relate more agreeably with the guards. More birds came and gradually he built up a small aviary in his cell. And when some of the birds died, he learned everything he could about bird diseases. And he began to experiment with treatments and he found those that worked. And he even began to write more effectively so he could communicate his passions for his birds. And he published articles about methods of caring for them. So the more time he spent with the birds, the more human he became. So I know this can really be a tragic story in a sense, but it's also a story of great hope because the changes in the birdman began with a small visit from a bird that it began to ignite a spark of gratitude for these little creatures that would come and visit him. And this feeling opened um, the door to a sense of, of purpose to begin to swell within his heart and displace those elements of darkness. So the question that you could have in your cottage meeting a discussion would be what, what kind of cause helps you capture the sunshine in your life? What do you do that gives you purpose? What are some of the causes that bring beauty and a sense of mission into your world? Viv, let's see the next slide there. Viktor Frankl said, he said, man is originally characterized by his search for meaning rather than his search for himself. The more he forgets himself, giving himself to a cause or to another person, the more human he becomes. And the more he is immersed and absorbed in something or someone other than himself, the more he really becomes himself. Now, I find that so interesting because in a world where, you know, we do you, 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 it's all about self-love and self-care and taking care of you, it, but it doesn't necessarily seem to equate to a happier people as we've been so focused on, on us. Rather, Viktor Frankl says, giving of yourself to a cause or to another person actually makes us become more human. It actually helps us to find ourselves. So Viv, let's see the next slide. You know, my mama used to tell the nine of us children, she said, children, the more you help your brother's boat across, lo, your own eventually will reach the shore. And she epitomized this to me. Now, this is a mom I found these pictures last night. She was going through her little cancer treatment. She had cancer for five years. She would, you know, get the little chemotherapy and the radiation, but she, she would say cancer might have me, but I don't, let's see, I might have cancer, but cancer doesn't have me. So there she is. This is so how she would greet people when they would come into our home. There was a little landing area. And if she didn't greet them down there by the door, as they would come in, she'd be at the top of the stairs and she would, throw her arms open and she would have some little expression of, oh, it's so good to see you. I can just see her saying that. 
but she, you know, my parents divorced after 26 years, I was number six of the nine. So she, um, and my dad left when I was 14. So at this point, when my father left, she had never worked out of the home before she was busy with nine children. And so there were many, many struggles we had initially. She had to learn how to drive. She had to go get a job. She had to learn how to balance a checkbook, how to pay bills. We somehow all rallied around each other and through the grace of God, we moved forward. Now our home was a very humble home. We didn't have any fancy furnishings. In fact, I really believe (laughs) most of our decor came from thrift stores, but it was full of love and laughter. And it was just a revolving door of people and neighbors that were seeking refuge from trouble, seeking her little listening ear. Let's see the next slide, Viv. Mama always had a pot of ham hocks and lima beans on the stove or chili or potato soup. Those were like our staples simmering. And then she would make homemade rolls and a chocolate cake by scratch. Now, that's the kind of food I remember eating. We never felt poor because of the constant commotion that we had in the simple food that brought us all together and happy conversation in love. Now, years later, as I really thought about it, I realized how poor we really were. My mama didn't have, we didn't have a lot of worldly means to give, but she had a joyful spirit and a welcoming, humble home and nourishment to feed not only bellies, but hearts and souls that would come through the door. And so I think we were rich indeed because of her ability to magnify the simple beauties of life, of gathering of nurturing, of praying, of listening, of consoling and loving. She shared everything she had and truly the love uh, that was given, I realized outside of oneself really reveals the beauty of the world around. And mama certainly did that. She made our lives beautiful, our world beautiful. One of my favorite uh, and one of my mom's favorite, probably That's why it's one of my favorites is one of the shows that we would watch every Christmas. And I bet you do too, was It's a Wonderful Life. Let's see that next slide with Jimmy Stewart. She loved this movie. Every Christmas she would cry and those little tears would come down her cheeks. And we're like, oh, mother, how many times have we seen this? But she reminds me of the wonderful line that describes George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. He was the richest man in town because the love of his friends. So the question that we can ask and discuss in a cottage meeting setting would be, can you see girls how I'm teaching you how to teach and then ask a question? teach and then have discussion. So the question would be, how does focusing on what we do have, our blessings and our ability to serve and share with what we have. How does that help us transcend beyond our circumstances, even if the circumstances aren't ideal? So, you know, I think of, okay, I think of my mama at Christmas time, you know, we were poor. And oftentimes our Christmases came from Kmart, like the entire Christmas came from Kmart. And it usually came because there was an anonymous little donor that someone would leave a hundred dollar bill on our doorstep, like always every year or 
you know, the little pastor of our congregation would say there was a, an, a non anonymous donor in the congregation that wants to, uh, you know, give you a little something for Christmas because my mom just prided herself on being able to serve and to give. So it was hard for her to receive help. And so it would always have to be left anonymously at her doorstep. But when that little $100 bill came in, we would get in the car and we would go to Kmart and we would buy up some simple little humble gifts. And then at, on Christmas Eve, she would go, I remember, <laughs> to the dryer and any mismatched, uh, mismatched socks we had, that would be our stockings. And she would put a banana and an orange and some hardtack candy. Sounds like little, little house on the prairies. We were just in the suburbs of Utah, but she would put a few little, uh, you know, candy canes in and we thought the stockings were wonderful. But what she did every Christmas is she would have a big dinner and she would open her home for anyone that didn't have a place to go. And it was glorious. And the table was always full and we would spill out to the front room. The Nat King Cole's music is going on and the house is happy. And we felt the spirit, the Christ spirit. And you better believe we felt rich that day because of her ability to see the fine and good that we did have. You know, um, in the supplemental material, this is where I need my hanky, mamas. And I know if I were to open this up to you, that you would have stories of your mothers and grandmothers and people around you that have made beautiful lemonade and seen the beauties of what they did have and helped you to see the beauties in your life as well. In the supplemental material in our cottage meeting manual, there is an article entitled Man's Search for Meaning by Kim Kimberly Fletcher. And she tells how she was sitting in church years ago and the pastor suggested during that week that when they prayed, everyone devote their prayer solely to thanking God for their blessings. Now the pastor's message really, she said, had nothing to do with gratitude, but with the purity of heart, pure in heart. But it became clear to her how having a pure heart is connected with the ability to have um, gratitude. And so Kimberly said she had just read this book at the time of the sermon at church. She just read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for, ha Man's Search for Meaning. And, and she talks about how um, she had found an, a deep connection between gratitude and a pure heart and how that impacts our actions. Now, Viktor Frankl, as Ed mentioned, was a Jewish neurologist and psychiatrist who spent three long years in several different concentration camps during World War II. And in this book that he would go on to write, he observed at that time the behavior of those in these uh, concentration camps. And he witnessed how differently inmates reacted and responded to these brutal surroundings. And through his own uh, you know, experience and discovery there, he discovered that it wasn't pleasure. It wasn't the pleasure, but the purpose of people that gave them meaning, even in these camps. Now, most of the men that lived amongst each other for those years he was there suffered, you know, in these conditions. And many of them would just give up and would succumb to their worst self. 
But on occasion, he noticed groups that would rise above their surroundings. Let's see the next slide, Viv. He observed small groups of prisoners in these horrible camps that would secretly gather together to recite in the evening time poetry and to sing songs and act in improvised plays, even though these activities were strictly forbidden. He said they instinctively understood that the soul's weapon in the fight for self-preservation was art and beauty that these jewels of life became so important to them that they'd even sometimes skip their meager, meager little meals at the end of a grueling day of hard labor to allow more time to participate in these activities. Okay, Viv. Beauty is not just, well, just a minute, Viv, we'll get to that. Beauty is not just what we see outside, but it's really what is in our hearts. It's not what we hear or what we have externally that we can even see, but it, how it, it penetrates into our heart. Beauty and understanding and appreciation of beauty becomes our inner compass, becomes who we are. So beauty can be found in different music and art and nature. And as it, we allow it to penetrate our soul, then it, it swells our hearts with gratitude and we begin to see things differently. We face things differently. What are some of the simple things that help you or have helped your family capture sunshine, capture beauty, even in trying times? What are some of some things that you have done? You know, you can think about it. You can put it in the chat. When we reach that place where we can find beauty in everything, in small things, in hard things, in the big things, no matter how hard the world might try to hide <laughs> various, various things in life. If we're able to see the beauty and even the trying things that the world might declare as a tragedy, that is when we begin to be filled and begin to understand the power of freedom and beauty in that connection. There is an ultimate depth, that is the ultimate depth, I believe, of freedom. It is not the circumstances without, but the determination within that ultimately defines who we are and the kind of person that we will be. It is our freedom to choose, not necessarily the conditions or the environment, but how we meet situations. Now, no one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from our children and grandchildren when they understand that. So beautiful mamas and grandmothers, consider as we conclude our lesson today, the great worth of a mind and a heart stock full of images of great art and melodies of inspirational music and beautiful words of literature and impressions of nature. A well-stocked mind and heart is equipped to find hope in the direst of situations or circumstances. Okay, Viv, this last slide here, Marie Antoinette, she was the last queen of France who would ultimately be executed during the French Revolutionary War. She said, what a resource amid the casualties of life is a well-cultivated mind. And that is what beauty does. It gives us a well-cultivated mind. 
Mamas, let's do everything we can to stock our loved ones' minds with beauty. It helps them to cultivate and capture the sunshine. It will sweeten their lives and prepare them to weather the storms and the battles that are surely ahead. Okay, Viv, we're we're down to that slide. Nurturing our children's desire for love of beauty in all of its expressions is truly a restorative power in the garden of liberty. Now, as we think, as we head into this Christmas time, there's so many opportunities for beauty at this beautiful holy season, music and community concerts and school concerts and nutcrackers. We just, I bought the tickets for nutcracker. We're gonna do that on Christmas Eve this year as a family. Uh, my, my one brother told me he took all his children to a Christmas carol last night to kick off you know, the Christmas season. And I think one of the reasons why he loves that and I love the Christmas carol is because that's what our mama did growing up. She would always read to us the Christmas carol. What was the true meaning and spirit of Christmas as she taught us? There's the beautiful Messiah sing-alongs and so many opportunities to give of ourselves and to serve others. Beauty is a freeing element and it does infuse us with hope and provides healing and comfort in, in difficult times. So as this world gets increasingly difficult and dark and people seem to be reeling back and forth in the nightly news and the headlines of the days are depressing, we will be able to stay anchored in hope. We'll be able to anchor those we love in hope, anchor them in gratitude as we are anchored in an acknowledgement of beauty in the world. So no matter how cold the world gets or how divisive politics or politicians are or how difficult the trials are that we may face or loved ones may face, we always know We will always know that we have beauty to warm us. And that is true freedom. So mama, that is our lesson today. 